I want to read to you from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the Sea of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Shortly after this birth, the, wise, the shepherds came in from the fields, because the angel had told them what had just happened. And months, and maybe even up to two years later, the wise man came, following the leading of a star to this very place or near here to see the little infant now growing up. Uh, this past Monday, some people saw uh, a star. I don't know how many of you saw it, but it was, it was a convergence of two planets, Jupiter and Saturn, and people were calling it the Bethlehem star because when those planets came close together, it really uh, looked kind of dynamic. And there's a picture up here to show you um, those two planets getting close together. Now, someone with a high-quality uh, camera took this next picture. looks even more stunning. Um, but it was a, a beautiful sight. Now, that literally isn't the star of Bethlehem, uh, but it does remind us of what it could have been like. You know, when I heard about this event on Monday, it said it, it happened the last time was like 800 years ago. And so uh, I, I wondered how, how cl close they really are. Say they look close side by side, but they're actually over 450 million miles apart the other direction. 450 million miles. In fact, Saturn, which is the small one that you see, is over a billion miles from planet Earth. A billion miles. That my eyes can see something a billion miles away when sometimes I can't even read road signs. I mean, it's just amazing. It's just amazing. And it's a, it's a great analogy for something I want to talk to you about tonight. Because while some things look close, they're really not as close as we think they are. And for many years, I grew up thinking I was really close to God when I wasn't. I was a million miles away. And I have a feeling some of you would fit that description. I mean, you think you're close. You think you're close to God this way, and you've come with very sincere hearts to worship him tonight. But in reality, from what God desires in the relationship, you're miles apart, miles apart. See, many people have the misconception that Jesus came to start a new religion. He didn't. He came to initiate new relationships. I mean, all religions have common elements. They have, uh, they have their beliefs. They have their moral teachings. They have the rituals that you practice. And to be honest, Christianity has all of those, but it has something in addition. And it is the fact that at the core of our faith is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. See, when, when the prophet Isaiah was promised uh, through the Lord, that God was going to visit planet Earth, he said that this virgin would be with child, and this child would be called Emmanuel. It was a sign that God had not forgotten them. No matter how much they had sinned, their constant rebellion, their rejection of him, their idolatry, God said, I haven't forgotten you. I'm still for you. I'm working out my plan. And not only was God for them, God was with them. Because he came to Earth in the form of a child called the Incarnation 
God became flesh in the form of a child and began to reveal himself as he grew so that we could see God up close, that God, his character, his power, his compassion, and his love was shown in Jesus Christ. And God demonstrated his greatest act of love by allowing his son to go to a cross where he, he, he was laid on that cross to die for our sins and took our punishment upon himself. And after Jesus died and was buried in a tomb. He rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and then he did something pretty amazing. He sent his Holy Spirit to come to this earth that in a sense, he could incarnate human bodies to where where God not only was just for us, not only was God with us, God wants to live in us through his spirit. Now that's pretty dramatic. God actually wants to make his home within our hearts. You know, when I was uh, a young single guy down in Arizona, I interned at a church, and there was this cute gal in the singles ministry, and we went out as friends for a few times, and after going out for a few times, I kind of wondered where, what her thoughts were and wanted to share what my thoughts were, and so I, I asked this, this gal, I said, uh, so what do you expect of this relationship? And she said, who said anything about us having a relationship? I went, okay, okay, I guess we're good. Okay, it's cool now. Um, by the way, uh, this May will celebrate 34 years of marriage. So it did, it did turn out real good in the end. But you know, uh, I sometimes wonder if God would say, who says we have a relationship? I mean, you believe those facts about what happened on the cross and all that, but you've never allowed me to come into your life like I want to. You've never let me make my home in you. The Apostle Paul, in one of his prayers in a book called Ephesians, says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. Now get this, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. God wants to live in you. He wants to make his home in you. Now, I know we often say to someone, you know, it could be a child, could be someone that's, that's passing away, I'll hold you forever in my heart. And that's a sentimental thought that will always cherish the memories, the experiences we've shared. But Jesus literally wants to indwell our body. He wants to come live inside. He wants to make his home inside of us. And when that happens... If you're a person who's experienced this, you probably have experienced a number of things that go along with having Jesus live in you. See, this didn't happen before I came into a relationship with Christ, but it's it's a regular occurrence now. Uh, First, you have this incredible hunger for the Lord. You want to know him. You want to know what the Bible says about him. You, You absorb sermons, teachings. You go to Bible studies. You watch podcasts and all kinds of things because you want to learn. You have this great hunger. You desire to worship. I mean, your heart starts to overflow with gratitude and thanksgiving that, that you come to church and you lift up your voice in praise. You find that there's a sensitivity to sin, that the things you used to find pleasure in that weren't pleasing to God don't seem so desirable anymore. In fact, you feel a little guilty when you get around those things and you say, you know, I don't want to do that anymore. Didn't feel that way before, but now that I'm in a relationship with Jesus, I feel that way. You have this incredibly deep reservoir that starts to f- well up with joy and hope, and peace. And sometimes you, you feel like, I don't even know where that's coming from because it's not coming from the economy. It's not coming from the weather. It's not, it's not coming um, from my health. It's coming from like somewhere deep within. Jesus said it would well up like a spring within you. One of the emotions that comes up is this love, 
This love that you, you begin to have for people of different races, different uh, nationalities, different backgrounds, different economic statuses, different colors of skin. You mean all kinds of differences and you have compassion for them, especially for the broken, the hurting, those who suffer, those who are far from God. Your heart goes out to them and, and you make sacrifices to convey God's love to them. And maybe the biggest sign that you're in a relationship with God is that you hear his voice. I don't mean an audible voice, but this gentle prompting inside that, that starts to direct you, that, that, that comes sometimes out of nowhere that says you ought to go to the right or, or you ought to go to the left or you ought to be still and know that I'm in God and I'm in control right now. Now, if, if you say, oh, pastor, I don't experience those things, there's a good chance you're not in the kind of relationship God wants to have with you. He wants you to have this dynamic, life-changing relationship in the Christmas carol, O Little Town of Bethlehem, uh, the last verse of that song says this, how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. You know, when Joseph and Mary uh, went to the town of Bethlehem, there was no place for them. Nobody had room for them. And sometimes that's true with us. We get so busy, so consumed with things in our lives that we don't have room for Christ. And I want to ask you tonight, have you welcomed him in? Have you allowed him to come into your life? If you don't know if he's living in you, I want to share with you how you can know tonight, how you can be assured that Jesus is living in you. John chapter one, verse 12 says, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God to all who received him. That's a a welcoming posture. It means I want him to be part of my life. When a couple is dating and that relationship progresses, it gets to a point typically where this couple says, you know what, we want to formalize this relationship. I want to be with you for the rest of my life. And I don't want other people to ask you out and I don't want you to go out with them. I want us to be just for each other. And so you go to this uh, justice of the peace or you go before a pastor in a church setting or outdoors and you pledge yourself to each other. And then you seal those pledges with the exchange of rings. And it's called a wedding. And a wedding is the initial step for a marriage. I wanna ask you, have you ever formally pledged yourself to Jesus Christ? I mean, is there any relationship more significant than that? How do you do that? Well, I'm gonna share with you a very simple progression of steps. And it's just following an A, B, C, and D. A stands for admit you've sinned and need a savior. Jesus Christ came, the angel said, to save us from our sins. From the time we were little, we, we began to learn what it was like to be defiant, what, what it was like to demand things our way, to, to be selfish. And we've all gone down paths that displease God. And the Bible says that's sin. When he's not leading our way and we're doing it our way instead, that's called sin. And we've done it a number of times. You know, the, the bait of temptation has been dangled in front of us and we've bitten it often. And yet Jesus said he was willing to come and forgive us. You know, I used to think I was a pretty good person before I knew Jesus but I was, I was getting my definition of good from the people around me. You know, one thing I noticed just recently this week when I was driving during the dusk hours is the difference in headlights of cars. You know, for, for many years, cars had incandescent lights and we'd call them white lights, but to be honest, they're a little bit yellowish because now we have LED lights and they are just like brilliant white. They are like snow white. 
And when you see those lights compared to the incandescent lights, you realize, you know what? Those things aren't as white as we thought they were. We call them white, but they weren't white. You look at my skin, you call it white, but if you pull a white Crayola crayon out of the box, it does not look like my skin. And it seems like our culture has said, well, we call things good that we think are good. But I want to tell you how far we've slid as a culture. Watch movies. Watch music videos. The glorification of, uh, of sexuality, of vulgarity, of violence, of greed, of power, of bullying people. Uh, you know, it, it seems okay now on social media to hold to grudges, to mock people, to take revenge, to speak your mind, to vent your rage, to live in constant worry and fear. And the problem is the world standards fall far short of God's standards. And, and, and we fall far short of God's expectations for us. That's why the Bible says in the book of Romans, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the starting point. You can't have a savior unless you need saving. And the reason you need saving is because you and I have sinned. That's the starting point. Secondly, believe what Jesus did for you. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not what? Perish, but have everlasting life. You know, when you go into the produce department of a grocery store, see all kinds of vegetables, bright colors, crisp, you know, delicious. But over the course of time, they'll wilt. They'll lose their color. They'll lose their flavor. They'll get moldy. They'll rot. They'll become what we call perishable. We are perishable. Sin is eating away at us and robbing us of the life God desired us to have. And the only way you can become imperishable is to believe in Jesus, to believe what he did on the cross, to believe that he took our consequences for sin upon himself so that we could be freed. It says, and again, in the book of Romans, but God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, I would say that most of us do believe that, but there's a difference between believing the facts and trusting Jesus. We believe a lot of things are true. We don't necessarily trust. Trust means you actually Put something on the line. If you saw a pilot of a plane and says, oh, I, I believe you're a good pilot, and the pilot says, okay, step on my plane and go across country with me. You go, well, I don't like planes. You know, then you, then you really don't trust him. See, what, what Jesus wants is us to believe, and then because of what we believe, we trust him. And I want to tell you this. Jesus is more qualified than you to pilot your life. So he says, trust me. Put your trust in me. Even when things don't make sense, even when you don't have all the answers, he says, you don't have to, but you can trust. You can even be like a child. Trust me. Admit you've sinned, believe what Jesus did for you, and then confess him as your Lord. Our mouth reveals what's in our heart. It really reveals what's important. You want to know what's important to someone? Listen to what they talk about. It'll come out. It just naturally comes out. If you find a, a woman who's just in love with a man, and she'll talk about him all the time, or the man talks about the woman, or if you, you love your dog, you're going to talk about it a lot. And when you love Jesus, you can't be silent about it. It says again in the book of Romans, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You know, when I was younger, I thought that just because I had the title Christian that I had all covered I belonged to the Christian religion. I was good. I believed in Jesus. But here's the problem. The name Christian doesn't mean a whole lot these days. In fact, Jesus never asked anyone to become a Christian. Did you know that? Never. He asked people to follow him. 
We had some missionaries over to our house recently, and they, they work with Muslims in Indonesia. And they found out that whenever they identified themselves as Christians, it was a great turnoff to the Muslims because they had a perspective that all Americans were Christians and all Christians had American values. And so Christians were greedy and vulgar and lustful and power hungry and arrogant and all these kinds of things. And this missionary said, I can't shake it. I mean, that's who I am, a Christian, but they have this mindset of what a Christian is. So he changed it. He now tells people, I'm a follower of Jesus. Well, see, they have Jesus as one of their prophets. They say, well, we follow Jesus too. He goes, okay, we have something in common then. Jesus wants you to follow him. And you know what it says when you follow him? It means he's your leader. He's the one in front that you're following. Being a Christian just means I, I adhere to a religion, but, but being a follower of Jesus means I confess him as the leader of my life. And when you get to that place, it just makes sense to do this next step, which is to die to yourself and live for him. This is a daily decision. When you decide to bring Jesus into your life, there are things that have to go. There's house cleaning that has to take place. And Jesus wants to come in. Now, picture your heart as having a little, little throne on it, a little chair inside there in your heart. And maybe when you're real little, mom and dad sit on that chair and you do everything they tell you. But there comes a point earlier for some than others when you decide, hey, I want to be on that chair. I'm going to call the shots for my life. I want to do what I want to do. And I don't want to do what I don't want to do. But here's the challenge. If you want Jesus to be Lord, he will not take the guest room and back. He will not go down to the basement. He says, I want that central place. You have to remove yourself from the throne so I can take it. We're not going to share that together. You have to yield yourself to him. I want to tell you, that's a hard decision to finally yield yourself. It takes a heart that is surrendered to him, to let him take the lead. You know, for 2,000 years, the church has observed a ceremony that embodies that kind of surrender. It's called a baptism. We do baptisms right over here in this little pool of water. Baptisms are graveside services. Because in a baptism, a person is buried in water. You know why they're buried? Because they're no longer in charge. It is a public declaration that I am surrendering the rights of my life, handing them over to Jesus Christ. It's a powerful, powerful movement. You know, people will weep, understandably, at a graveside service for a loved one. But I'll tell you this. At a baptism graveside service, there are tears of joy. Because we're not, we're not honoring a person in their death. We're honoring them in their new birth. I go back uh, to the book of Romans, this time chapter 6. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You know, when a, when a couple loves each other, they get to a point where they say, you know what, we need to formalize this arrangement. We want to be husband and wife. And they go before witnesses and they pledge themselves, they exchange the rings, and from that day forward, they have a new identity. It's the same with Christ. When you make room in your life to say, I want to partner with Jesus from this day forward for the rest of my life, for good times, for hard times, in, in, in poverty or in wealth, and whatever happens, I'm going to trust Jesus. We are in this till death. And the beautiful thing about this relationship, it goes beyond death. It goes way beyond death. Far better than two, ver two planets converging are two lives converging, 
your life and the life of Jesus. You know, Paul, again, he's, he's the apostle in the Bible, and I love uh, many of his writings. And he writes again in the book of Galatians this time this statement. I now have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Did you catch that statement? I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's it. Jesus didn't come simply to demonstrate to us God's love. He says, I want to be in you, in you, in you. I don't live in buildings. I don't live in stone monuments. I live in bodies that I created to reflect my image on this earth. But you have to welcome me in. You have to open yourself to me. I want to make one last comparison to marriage. Because I truly believe that if you are attending here today, if you've turned, tuned in online, you truly have an affection for Jesus. But you, you could be classified as a secret admirer. Someone is watching from a distance and says, man, I, I really like that Jesus. Oh, he's good. Great, uh, he's beautiful. Or you may be someone who's gotten a little closer. You're actually dating Jesus. I mean, you go to church on occasion and you pray on occasion, but you've never formalized the relationship. What I'm, what I'm asking you to do today is enter a covenant. See, the Bible has this word called covenant, which is a promise God makes to forever be faithful to you. And here's the challenge. He's already made that statement to you. He's waiting for you to make that statement to him. And, you know, we've been through a lot in 2020. What better way to start 2021 than to make sure that in the center of your life is the creator of this universe who, in the midst of all kinds of situations, brings good. Don't you want him to pilot your life? You can do that. If you've never done it, I want to invite you to do it today. So I'm going to ask you to stand. And if you're at home and would like to stand with us too, I'm going to offer a prayer. And here's what I'd like you to do. If you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ and formalized and says, Jesus, I am, I am opening my heart to you that today you're going to do that. And so as I pray, you might whisper just under your breath or even out loud to say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. In, in, in its essence saying, that's my prayer. I'm in agreement with that. And some of you who've already done that, you can go along and just, just kind of renew your vows with the Lord as well. But we want to make sure that on this night, we make room in our hearts for the one born King of Kings. Our Lord Jesus Christ, I need you. I have screwed up so many times. I've messed my life and led it down a wrong path. And I'm tired of living that way. I do believe that you came to this earth, that you took on human form, that you lived a perfect life, and you died in my place on that cross. I believe that you were buried in a tomb, but that you rose from the dead three days later and ascended to heaven. And I believe that you sent your spirit to come and live and I need you to live in my life. I need you not only to save me from my sins, but be the leader of my days forward. I will do my best to seek you, to follow you, to obey you with my life from here forward. And I offer my body for you to take over, to occupy the throne of my heart, and use my body for your service. All that I am, all that I have, I give to you. Make my heart your home. Fill me and use me for your glory. I surrender in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jesus loves you. He really does. And he wants to have 
such an intimate relationship with you that he's not going to stay out here somewhere. He wants to be right here. And I want to tell you from my own experience, 2020 has been a hard year. A lot of it. It's hard watching stuff happen. It's hard making decisions that affect so many people. It's been hard. But you know what's been the beautiful thing through all this is Jesus has never left right here. He's been constant. He wants to be with you. Some of you are dealing with a lot of fear, a lot of worry, a lot of guilt. And he wants to flush that out if you allow him to occupy every, every quarter, every space of your heart. Just surrender to him. So if you're online and you've responded, or if you're wanting follow-up, just, just type on the screen there, I need Jesus. And we'll get back in touch with you. Or you can email us at disciple at yestogod.org. We'll follow up with you. For those of you who are here, we're going to invite you, if you made a decision today, to come up after we sing this next song. And we want to know who you are and we want to pray with you. By the way, December 27th is our next service on Sunday. January 3rd is the week after. We'd love to baptize some of you. Be a great way to finish the year or begin the new year. But let's close with this great Christmas carol which calls us to to recognize how great our Savior is and really even to fall on our knees in worship of Him. This is your holy night. This is His holy night.